Christy. Hello. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me. Absolute pleasure. Pleasure. I think a good place to start is a bit, of you, a bit about you, your background, how you've ended up where you are, and then we can, we can take the conversation from there. Perfect. Well, the elephant in the room is I don't have a British accent. Um, <laughs> I am sitting here in London with you. However, um, I've been over here for 13 years. Uh, Canadian, for those who don't quite have the, mm-hmm. the accent ear. Um, but yeah, I've been in recruitment marketing for coming up on 20 years, which is a scary, scary number. Um, many, many of those years, I was in house in a recruitment agency. I was at Robert Half in Canada, as well as over in the UK. When I left there about five years ago, I was, um, I always get it wrong, International Director of Marketing Communications, ultimately everything non-US. Okay. And what that really taught me and, and what I've brought since then, I'm... Um, I should say, I'm still working in the recruitment industry. I run a recruitment marketing agency called Thrive, where we do end-to-end um, growth marketing strategies for recruiters, for in-house talent teams, as well as um, partners to the industry. Right. What I was going to say, though, on that point was, I think that the real essence and what I, you know, what I bring with it is this understanding of how marketing teams need to partner with sales teams and operations teams, mm-hmm. and how when the two partner together alongside with the use of technology and innovation and just that growth mindset, you really get a fantastic partnership and, and truly growth from your marketing. I think that's probably a good place to start. So how, how do, not every business, you know, the ones I've worked in as well, not necessarily even think mm. marketing sales. Are, I think it has improved over the years from what I've okay. seen, but where, tell us a bit about that, elaborate a bit on why that's so important. Yeah, well, well I think where the change has really, for me, where I've seen it, it m- m- a moment in time that changed things was COVID. I mm-hmm. think it gave recruit- recruiters, especially after periods of quite a lot of growth, you know, kind of the mid-teens onwards, you know, agencies were doing really well, by and large. You know, they were growing, more coming along, and they got busy, and, and they were doing really well. So did they need marketing to support them on that growth? I'd say yes, but arguably many did fine without it. That period, though, gave people a moment to pause. And I think we've seen a rise of tech. We've seen a rise of tech and how it can be relevant for SMEs, where maybe previously some some of only the big companies could really afford it, not to mention have the the talent to get the most out of it. And then also it gave this, this... I think just a new way of thinking, you know, recognizing that businesses need to differentiate themselves. You know, there are a lot of recruitment agencies in the UK, um, a lot globally. Um, US, of course, we're target recruiters as well. And how do you differentiate one from the next? And and I think most people say, oh, it's our people. And and that's fine. And I, I believe that, you know, that there's a lot of great relationships that are built in recruitment. But if you're gonna scale, if you're gonna grow, you need to differentiate yourself. And I think innovation, technology, and how marketing has married into that is is now on that leader's agenda, which maybe it hadn't been before. Mm-hmm. So where does where does a business start to differentiate if they're not going to fall yeah. back on the people? Yeah. I mean, I think there, there's a few different steps, and I think there is, a, there is a, a trajectory and a journey. You know, the very, very first one, and it is a marketing piece, is your brand, you know? And, and brand, yes, it's logo, yes, it's colors, yes, it's font and your website, but it's a lot more than that. It's, it's what distinguishes you, and, and that is your processes. It, that is the tech stack you're, you're leveraging. How are you making your business attractive to the best consultant talent who might, um, may or may not want to join your business? How are you um, becoming more efficient at, to really compete not only with your competitors, but rise ahead of them. You know, h- how do you deliver a service that leverages the best of technology, that leverages the best of processes in order to, to, to get ahead? 
And there's a lot of pieces there that, yes, marketing is, is a part of a lot of those pieces. But of course, also just having that leadership team who are open to new ideas, who are ready to innovate, and who are ready to bring both marketing, but also the wider business along with them, because it becomes part of their DNA and, and what they want to see to propel themselves forward. Okay. So tra- you mentioned there about an intra- attracting the right employees. So that's that's the employer brand and something which has been discussed over years. Mm-hmm. But where, where again, where do people start to think, okay, I need to stand out and we can come to, the, you know, attracting the customer, the client. Mm-hmm. But how, where do people say, okay, well, we need to have the right brand to attract the right people for the for the business? Where, where do people start? Yeah. You know, it is it is identifying that EVP at the end of the day. You know, I, I think last year, you know, 2022, as everybody has said, had, was that bumper year. You know, everybody was doing, all the agencies were doing so well. Everybody was dying to recruit. Um, a lot of the rec-to-rec agencies, they wouldn't even take on um, a job order from a recruitment agency if they didn't have an identified EVP. Because how are you going to sell one over another? Yes, there's relationships. And yes, maybe your previous employer and you you bring colleagues along with you. Mm -hmm. But you need to actually understand what do you stand for? What makes you different? Um, Yes, there is, of course, a compensation piece to it. You know, um, how, how are you attracting that talent? But there is a cap to that, you know, both in terms of, um, what's feasible for that company and, the, and then obviously what, what the market commands. And, and I think, unfortunately, you know, this year has been a bit softer and those businesses that really competed for that talent on salary alone mm-hmm. are feeling the pinch a little bit because okay. they may not be able to sustain it. The ones who are doing really well, and there's a couple that are really quite standout right now, are the ones who are looking at their um, corporate social responsibility. Mm-hmm. What is their position in the, the communities, and, and I use community broadly in terms of both you know, the business market as well as the, their, their, um, their own talent, that, um, that group as well as the, the geographies they work in. What is that piece? What is that legacy? What are you selling to those consultants who you want to attract? What's the dream you're going to put forward to them? And a realistic dream, of course. Mm-hmm. But how are you going to get them on your team and working towards that common goal together? And how closely knit does the EVP need to be to the way that the the brand to the client is knitted together? How is they? I'm assuming they're hand in they, hand. They'd have to be. I mean, you have to be your authentic self at, at all times. You know, I think there is there is kind of a, a rule of thumb that you know you you, you can't present anything to your a, a potential consultant that you wouldn't be willing to also have your clients see, sure. et cetera. So if you're putting anything on Instagram or on LinkedIn, you better believe that everybody's going to see it. It's, it's open for whomever it is. Mm-hmm. And I think, I think we're seeing an evolution from maybe what attracted consultants, you know, five or more years ago, the, the reward trips and, and, and that piece. I think a lot of um, recruiters' priorities have changed. You know, I think COVID changed a lot of those priorities and what they value in an employer, what they value in their own career and where they want to see it going, and how, how are we responsive to what their, what their needs are and their, their drivers are, whilst at the same time, of course, recognizing that it has to go hand in hand with how you're presenting yourself with, to clients and candidates. What, where do you think those priorities have shifted from and to for the recruiters? Well, I, I think the, the change in working patterns has had a, a massive effect. Mm-hmm. I mean, as I said, I've been in the industry a really long time, and, and I had a great time in my 20s and 30s. And, and you know, they're, they're really what was and still is, to a large effect, a social culture. But I think everybody hung their hat on that social culture and, and kind of forgot a lot of the other pieces. Mm-hmm. And it's the other pieces, I think, that are are becoming more important. Mm -hmm. So a job with purpose, you know, recognizing how their contributions are not just financially driven for themselves and their organization, but that there's a purpose, you know, purpose-driven jobs um, are are more and more important. I think we're seeing a lot of agencies where they're working in niches that are, again, for good niches. And, And even that, if you know that what you're doing is for lack of a better word, going to save the planet, you know, for lack of a better expression, um, you're going to be that much more committed to it as well. Mm -hmm. And of course, recognizing that, you know, diversity has been a bit of a buzzword the last couple of years, but not all recruiters 
are wanting to be at the pub every night after work. Yeah, um, yeah. There, there are many different um, people who, who make up the industry and also their priorities. And, and you know, working mums is, is, is one obvious one, but, but also um, it's not the only one. And, uh, you know, making a business responsive to what their teams, who they are at home and who they are at, at work don't have to be separate anymore. No, they, they, they re, you really should bring your whole self wherever you go. And recruiters have choices. Yeah. They, they can go where their whole self is accepted. So you, there's a few things there mentioned. CSR, <laughs> the community, the brand, the the EVP. Who's responsible? And I know this is largely dependent on the size of the organization, the maturity. Mm. Where does that responsibility lie? Because, you know, looking at the, the EVP compared to CSR, mm. I've worked at large organizations before where you actually have a dedicated CSR mm -hmm. team. You have somebody who's dedicated to the brand and pushing that out and making sure that filters through to the culture, but it's not necessarily the same person. Yeah. So what what's your experience on that front? I, th I think you hit it on the head. There isn't one size fits all. Um, it is very, very broadly um, it's, it's very broad depending on the size of the company and, and the talent within. I mean, I think you see a lot of really incredible operations people in recruitment who, that person who does it all, yeah. Um, yeah. they often are tasked with it. Marketing is, is often tasked with it as well. But I think that the common driver is that it has to have that senior stakeholder, a sponsor, rather, let's call it a sponsor. You need that senior sponsor who pulls it through. And, mm -hmm. and that's generally... Um, the managing director or the sales leader, operational leader, that even if they are not doing the, the nitty gritty on it, they have to be the one championing it. They have yeah. to be the one taking that message wherever they go and, and evidencing that it is an equal priority to some of the other, other commercial elements to the business because mm -hmm. people are smart, you know, at the end of the day. They, they can see through when the two don't necessarily... Um, correlate to each other okay and how how would a business go about managing that if they are if they have offices in different regions say uk mm. us and or distinct different brands how do how does a company go about like do they have an, a separate evp and brand for another um, company within a group mm. when in effect they could all be working in the same place how how those complexity, how is it addressed? Again, I, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to give you a straight answer because it really is very unique to the business. Right. Now, I think the interesting thing is as you get larger and lar into larger and large organizations, people will often identify with, with their team versus um, the wider business. So mm -hmm. if that's the kind of business that you're running, you, you need to be responsive that that team is going to have their own culture. And mm -hmm. when you're recruiting into that team, et cetera, that team is is what needs to be showcased. Sure. But it can't be so distinct from, let's call it the group. It can't be so distinct from, from the group message. So if you were designing it strategically, which once you get to a size like that, I hope you would be, I, I think you have to think of it very deliberately that you, you're putting out what is our, our group EVP or mm -hmm. the company mm -hmm. corporate-wide EVP mm -hmm. and how does that distill down to the different verticals. Okay. And maybe it's having champions for each of the verticals. Um, I think it's also, you know, think of it creatively, you know, think of it, it, in many businesses, it's not its own defined role, as you've already said. So pose the challenge, off, you know, going back to the point that this is what people want and yearn from their employer, you're probably going to get some people who find this a great project that they'd want to work on. Sure. And so be creative and, and bring people together who may not normally work together because they're going to come with some great ideas. Okay. So going back to the point that you raised just before about sales and marketing needing mm. to work close together, you know, we, we come across a lot of organizations where the recruiter kind of has responsibility for both. Now that they're wearing the sales hat, which is probably the, you know, the predominant area of their role, but they also have responsibilities about um, around marketing to clients, to candidates. So how mm. does, how do you make sure that sales and marketing are working hand in hand and making it a real successful approach for potential candidates yeah. or, or potential employees to join, but then also pushing the message out to the, to the customer. Yeah, I do think in what you said that, yes, every recruiter, you know, there's a lot said these days that every recruiter is a marketer. Um, 
now I do have to defend my profession a little bit, is that it doesn't mean that everybody's a technical marketer Mm -hmm. nor a brand marketer. But there is an absolute tremendous value to those individual recruiters who are going out and managing their personal brand, who are representing part of the wider brand, and and therefore are a representative uh, of that company. Mm-hmm. Um, however, I think that to really have a sound, um, let's call it a corporate marketing, let's call it a centralized marketing strategy, I think that needs to be where they, either the sales director or the managing director they again need to be that sponsor and they need to, to marry up with that marketing person. And they need to share with them, they need to have, that marketer needs to have a seat at that decision-making table or at least an ear to it. So they, they need to know, I mean, the question I typically ask um, businesses that I start working with is, okay, you have 100% of your time as a business, focus as a business, how would you carve that up if you had a pie? How would you carve that up to client acquisition, candidate acquisition, or internal higher acquisition. And it can't, it can't be 33, 33, 33. There has to be a driver. It can change. Market forces, business situation can change it. Maybe not every week, but may, you know, it could change every quarter. Or, you know, it's normally not that often, though. Um, and even in a market, regardless of market, I should say, is it's going to be very, very driven by the sector that you're working in. So a great example is IT. You know, IT for years, it's been so candidate-driven that even right now, a lot of your effort could be on candidate acquisition. Mm-hmm. Um, same thing of nursing, healthcare, et cetera. For others, and a lot of the businesses we're working with right now, their number one focus, they'll say to me, okay, it's 80% client acquisition right now. We need job orders right now. So we, we shift the dial to focus on those client activities. Going back to how do you structure this in your company, that leader has to keep that marketer lockstep with mm-hmm. what, how the, the business um, is changing, how the market is changing, et cetera, and tasking that marketer to go and acquire whatever audience they need. From there, the marketer also needs to be held accountable. So that's where your KPIs are, are critical. You need to know what you're actually trying to achieve if you're going to be doing proper marketing. You know, it's mm-hmm. not about coloring in and pretty colors. It's a piece of it. Um, but at the end of the day, in a digital marketing world, you absolutely can account for most things. Mm-hmm. And marketing absolutely can be a revenue driver, mm-hmm. just as the sales teams can. And you mentioned there about the personal brand and the corporate brand. How much of a responsibility is it for marketing to be supportive of people pushing out their personal brand? Mm-hmm. Kind of in line with the corporate, you know. I'm thinking, you know, LinkedIn. You see the mm-hmm. the same people on LinkedIn who are pushing really good content. You know, they've got a great brand, and they probably have a great brand whether they're at that company mm-hmm. or when they move on to the next one. Are those people who are successful? Is that because they're working? hand in hand with marketing. I know in my my example, I work very closely with Sam, our, our head of marketing in the UK for, you know, just sensor checking the tone of voice, sensor checking the content. Mm-hmm. Could even just be a photograph that I want them to look at or some um, or a post to make it look pretty before I put it out onto LinkedIn, which is great because I've got an open access to Sam. Do you think it's also marketing's responsibility to be proactive and say, look, guys, you, you need to be think about your own personal brand which will also raise mm. the, the the corporate brand i think it's a hard one i think it's a, that's a big job to put on a marketer um at, at the end of the day i th- actually i'm going to go back to that sponsor and and right. you're going to hear that as a recurring message for me because even if that that sales director that managing director even if they're not you know banging the drum or or sitting next to them at the desk figuratively to to get them to be posting they need to drive the culture at the end of the day and they need to uh, present the scene to say, Mr. or Mrs. Marketer, this is the role they're going to play to help you um, with your personal brand, et cetera. Now, I do caution. I, I personally don't feel you can scale a business based on personal brands alone. Mm-hmm. And not saying you, you can't do great revenue generation and that it's not a piece of it. But we're, we're asking recruiters to, to be full-on content marketers at the end of the day. Mm-hmm. And there are a lot of recruiters who are really good recruiters who are mm-hmm. never going to be content marketers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And there's also a lot of recruiters that, you, you know, you're going to be hiring quite junior, oftentimes, quite junior people who don't have that established network already. So I think the more important piece, where I'd like to see leadership go, is, like I say, be, the, be that sponsor. Endorse how marketing can support that personal brand 
but at the same time give the marketing team also the liberty to do that centralized marketing. Mm. And the, the value to that business is that they're going to be driving those leads for those junior recruiters mm -hmm. to be able to pick up so they can hit the ground running faster mm -hmm. and they'll have more opportunity. And obviously that'll grow the business. Yeah. You know, it. I'm a massive, probably more than anything else, a massive proponent of reactivating the database. I mean, recruiters versus many other industries, we have these rich, rich databases, um, high, high volume. I know not the, the data isn't always the, 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 the cleanliest. You know, they're, 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 there's ways you can fix that. Um, but we spend all our time on these shiny new things and, and job boards and, and sourcing on, on LinkedIn and all these things. You know, it's time, it's money. And oftentimes, and actually I've, in my career and, and the clients we work with, oftentimes we found that as many as 75 to 85% of placed candidates already exist in the database. So you've just gone and purchased these new, these, these new candidates. And I, I put that in quotation marks because I'm talking about your job boards, your LinkedIn credits, you know, you know, all those sources of attracting or, or acquiring candidates, and they're already sitting in your database. You just need to have a better way to get, you know, update the data, make sure it's clean, and make sure, you know, you can surface those contacts to make it easy for your recruiters to identify, you know, the right candidates with the right skill set because it's clean, but also surfacing those who may not be actively looking for a job but who would be open to opportunities should, should they present themselves. So how do you go about reactivating the database? Well, we had another guest on a previous podcast, Andy Hallett, and he was talking about mm. how from the outside, if you didn't know that you were looking at a recruitment agency, a lot of, a lot of agencies actually look like data um, processing companies because the amount of rich data that mm. they have, but they need the ability, yeah. usually through searching capabilities, to tap into it. And then once you've surfaced the data, Another podcast that we had it was about how you know actually having meaningful data to make the right mm -hmm. decisions. So how how would how do you go about reactivating the data? I think you know when we've previously spoke, you had a you had a great example about how a, um, a healthcare organisation brought yes. more nurses on board. That's probably a good good place to start with with that story. But how does how do you, how do you reactivate the data? Yeah. Now so. Like I say, we have these rich databases. Um, for one, you need to make sure it is coded candidate versus client. Um, I know there is that perception out there, the cradle to grave perception, a candidate become a client, et cetera. But in that, um, in the moment of intent, they are one or the other, right? Yes, they should be part of your bigger ecosystem and that relationship, but in the moment of intent, they're one or the other. Ultimately, it's about starting to engage with that database now. Yes, there are GDPR considerations, et cetera, you have to be mindful of. But you start engaging with them. And you can actually use forms and, and different things for them to self-populate and update their information. So I think that's one of the, the big reasons. And you can't blame recruiters for not going into it because there's candidates from 10 years ago. I mean, I still get, I, I'm, I'm on databases that I'm getting junior marketing roles at I don't want to say the amount, but, you know, not my career level, um, put it that way. And that data is 10 plus years old. So you can use it to bring somebody to a form, get them to say old title, new title, or desired title, um, skill set, tick, 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 tick of all the different skills that they're bringing, obviously in, in tech or different languages or software, you know, that, that becomes even more critical. Um, obviously anything about their... Um, contact details, et cetera, and are they interested in roles? And, and the beauty in this is if they're filling out that form, they're probably going to be interested in roles. So right away, you've now used this to update the data in your database directly, and you've now also used this to surface people of interest, and that's now that moment for your consultants to say, okay, get on to these, get on to these candidates, update their records, and in the example that, that you've mentioned there, it was a situation that they had, I think it was 300, within a two-month period, they'd, mm -hmm. they'd placed 300 additional nurses um, just from reactivating their database. And it's, I mean, as, as you know, that audience itself is, is it's tough to find nursing it talent when you already have that talent um, in your network. You yeah. just need to surface it and, and leverage it.
And I know there's quite a bit of tech out there, say, for example, LinkedIn connectors, which can actually look at the LinkedIn profile and update changes mm. from there into the respective CRM target recruits one system, which can, can support that. So once when you've, you've got those changes which which are coming through yes you want people to be engaging with it but any future changes what what's the recommendation on on not not re-engaging when you think it's got old and stale but making it continuous so mm. that the candidate knows that you're always there with with, with potential work what, what's the recommendation yeah. about that approach i mean i think you've just you've kind of indirectly said it's about a process isn't it so it's about and the beauty is today that there are marketing automation tools or engagement automation tools which I think a lot of people get get scared of that word they you know they hear automation and they think it's those spammy LinkedIn emails that, yeah. that we're all getting um, it doesn't have to be though uh, you can make them highly targeted highly personalized obviously the the better data you have uh, and the more thought you put into it means it could be more segmented and so it re it could even feel that is it is a, a real person who sent a one-off email to them mm -hmm. um, it, you also are able to look at how they're engaging with you so if they if they are showing in what's called intent Intense, signals yeah. um, you engage with them and send them different kinds of context or, or content and materials they're not engaged with you maybe you you slow down and and maybe only engage them once a month or, or every six weeks but it's about we now have the technology to create these we, we have the technology to make it more human which, which sounds crazy but at the end of the day we can be more human by taking our evp which we talked about by taking the that USP, sorry, another acronym, but what is making our business unique and why do you want to work with us? And we just have to have a bit of preparation, put that into these sequences and, and into the, these um, communications and they can trigger. Yeah. It's quite ironic that the more that you rely on technology and automation, the more human it actually becomes impersonable. So once you've, can you give some examples of ways that agencies can by using technology, they can continue to engage with the candidates. So like you say, it's not just a spammy email coming yeah. into the inbox, but other ways that they can either, you know, they can stand out, they can um, just make make them, I guess, be different in the, that differentiator. Have yeah. you got any examples of that? So, so I think you need to think about how do you want to leverage automation and what does your business need? You know, so going back to that nursing example and, and any of these that there's a high compliance side of it, nursing, teaching, et cetera. Um, one of the biggest challenges those agencies have is the fall off from interview through all the compliance steps to placement. Mm -hmm. um, you can automate all of that compliance and seeing if, if you, they're getting the right forms and, and checks, et cetera, coming through. You can be obviously just that value added content, you know, that... I don't want to call it newsletter because it can be a newsletter. Mm -hmm. If it's a newsletter, you have to make sure it's newsworthy to the end to the end customer or the end contact you're sending it to. But think of it, change your perception a little bit and think of it as evergreen. So if somebody's registered with you, you know, on, on July the first, come what would be their stages? You know, if you've not spoken to them in a month what would be the, you know, the, the follow-up with that? Maybe at six weeks they get X. Maybe at 90 mm. days mm. they get Y. Mm. Um, maybe you also have to think of it, again, that the candidate cradle to grave is maybe we've placed them, whether that's a temp opportunity or a perm opportunity. If it's temp, that's a great example. They're coming to the end of their, of their engagement, their assignment, that you start engaging with them again. If they're perm, doing do your check-ins on you know the, the quality satisfaction with them and checking in with mm. them. That also goes for clients. You know, think about it. If you made a placement, can you use that now as a cross-sell into other divisions in the in the in the company, or as a again getting a testimonial or a referral? Uh, maybe three months down the road, you want to again start them off on another kind of BD sales message because you've now had a successful person in post for 90 days. You know, that trust factor is going to be quite high. Mm. So really, it's, it's actually endless, yeah. the opportunities that are out there. Um, and that's probably why you, you definitely need strategy. You definitely need that EVP or, or that brand um, uh, USP to it. And you need to have that, that right comms and messaging to, to hit them at the right moments, touch mm. points. 
that are often align with their yeah. pain points as well. And I guess that the difference between temp and perm could be very different with temp. It's usually, you know, you need to get somebody in a placement sharpish, otherwise the competitor might be mopping them up as well. I, I think from examples when I've been placed in, a, in permanent roles, the recruiter's done such a great job in you know, establishing trust, building up a relationship with me, selling the client who I've eventually went to, to work for. There's been a good few examples where I've never heard from that recruiter ever again. Mm. And it's just, it's a bit, it, it's almost a bit of a waste that they've put so much effort into securing me as an individual, but they haven't had those check-ins. Not that I would be looking to jump ship anytime once I've established the job, but just to know that they're still there if and when my career changes direction. Yeah. So you, do you, you have, must have different strategies or recommendations for clients based on the industries and types of recruitment that they run. Definitely, definitely. And and even that the platforms that, that, that you know, use. use that nursing example again, you're not going to find a nursing candidate on LinkedIn, no, not really. No, no. You're finding them on Facebook or, 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 yeah. or somewhere else. Um, but I think the piece in here, again, to go back to is is the role that technology can play with us in 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 differentiation, you know, if it, it would be great, and, and probably, you know, 10, 20 years ago, those were the recruiters that were really successful, who, you know, really had their, their little black book, and they were constantly keeping up to them. Now, take that same concept of a little black book and add technology to it. Mm -hmm. And this is where you can make your consultants more productive, mm -hmm. more efficient, um, more revenue generating, because all that stuff could be happening, but they don't physically have to be doing it. No. Um, it still can have that definitely would have the corporate voice to it. You, you could probably even make it, you know, depending on how involved you get, you can make it have that individual tone and voice to it as well. You can make it from that indi individual consultant coming from them. Um, but you're, the biggest thing is that you're freeing them up. You're freeing them up to work on more high value touch points, working the job, building relationships, making placements versus, um, you know, engaging with people who not say they're not valuable, but they don't have intent in that moment. You want to allow your consultants to focus in on what's going to drive the growth and revenue forward for your business in the short term as, as well as the long term. Mm -hmm. So and with, the, with the technology side, is it is that responsibility going back to the sponsor and remarketing, you know, they have this, this strategy, do they always have the awareness of the technology which should be sitting over the top of it? Well, you'd hope so. Um, technology is, is changing quickly, there's of a lot course. Of, there's a lot of crossover from, say, an automation tool, mm -hmm. but interrogating the data in CRM mm -hmm. or linking into, like we've used the, the LinkedIn example or looking at shifts for a temporary worker. You know, you're talking to probably three, four different platforms there mm -hmm. where for, for a lot of people that's, it, it's a lot, particularly if they're coming from manual processes. But, you know, what we see is that technology can take away what you're saying, you, you, you want them to be focusing on the high value touch points rather than doing stuff which technology can take yeah. away the headache. Yeah. I think it's having the right people at that decision making table again. Yeah. I don't think it is. Most often it's not going to be one single owner to it. Um, obviously, I'm going to champion the marketer. I'd like the marketer be, to be able to um, have the ability or when I say ability you know the license to be able to to speak up and say hey here's some of the the new marketing tools that we could be leveraging or you know if they are if um, the business is looking at a new CRM or a new tech product bring the marketer in the discussions even if it doesn't seem like there's a marketing component to it mm -hmm, there mm -hmm. probably is and that there's mm -hmm. probably something that someone with that kind of uh mindset and outlook can can definitely bring to the discussion yeah yeah i guess it all depends on how the who you're working with the maturity of the business you know we've we've heard conversations i mean part of it where uh, um, a company that they, they, they don't necessarily even know how to write an email to promote their services to potential clients and there's nothing wrong with that but we know that there's once you've got that and you know your brand and you get that messaging out that's where the technology jumps in to automate mm -hmm. the process Absolutely. you're taking away taking away kind of the responsibility from somebody who perhaps it's not their forte, it's not their speciality? Again, it's part of the beauty of it. You know, it gives um, those recruitment leaders that ability to 
protect your company brand as well. You know, there are some things that should be done centrally um, to make sure that the brand tone, the ethos, the messaging, even just the quality of writing is, mm -hmm. is up to scratch at mm -hmm. the end of the day. It's not to take away from the individualization that the recruiters can bring um, when they are having their dealings. Mm -hmm. and, and I think those that do it well will find that balance of the mm -hmm. two. Yeah, I've seen some examples where, particularly on LinkedIn, you've, you've got an individual who's wanting to raise their personal brand, but also take the, the corporate brand with them. Mm -hmm. And one person in the company might not perhaps like the tone of voice, they might not mm -hmm. quite like the messaging. That person then gets approached and says, oh, you need to think of it this way or that mm -hmm. way in future. And it just it just kills the mm -hmm. it kills kind of the ambition or that. Because, you know, posting on, online for a lot of people can be quite daunting. Yeah. And then when you've got somebody seeing you in the business who comes along and says, no, that wasn't quite right, but they don't leave by example anyway, <laughs> it's it, it, it's not very encouraging to people who want to, who, who are essentially young and ambitious and want to make a, um, make their own road, albeit with that corporate message as well. Yeah, I, th I think there's some foresight needed then in that. Yeah. You know, it, again, it goes back to that sponsor. You know, if that sponsor truly believes in it, um, if in the ideal world he or she will be also doing it themselves. If they don't, and that's that's perfectly fine yeah, if they sure. don't, but it doesn't mean they don't endorse it. And by endorsing it, it means, like you said before, maybe the marketer isn't responsible for everybody doing the training or doing the um, for posting but can be doing training for them, um, can be, you know, being proactive in teaching the the, the do's and don'ts. And, and one of the really interesting things is the algorithm. You know, how, how do you play the algorithm so mm -hmm. that you get more visibility for the posts you're putting out? There, there is a, there's a trick to it. It's for another podcast. <laughs> um, but the interesting thing with that as well, or, or the added benefit of that as well, is you've now for that recruitment leader, they're now presenting that marketer as a source of knowledge. Mm -hmm. You know, they are they are endorsing that person, which, you know, your social presence just one of many interactions that marketing and the sales teams are going to have. Mm -hmm. You know, they they are going to have, and the more the better in in many cases because that's when you truly get this partnership. Well, you're positioning that marketer from day one as somebody who is endorsed and and respected and and looked up to mm -hmm. in the business. And that's going to pay dividends when it comes time to some of this email marketing and database reactivation, et cetera, because they've earned those kind of credibility points yeah. early on yeah. in that in that consultant's um, career with the company. So we've talked a lot about the marketing and the sales working hand in hand. What other areas would would not would marketing naturally start to work mm. with in, in, in the business? Oh, that's a good question. I think it scales with the size of the company for sure. Um, HR, if you, if they have an HR department or they have an internal recruitment department is a, a obvious, a very, very obvious one for me. Um, obviously that's also driven by hiring and, and if they are doing a lot of internal hiring themselves. Mm -hmm. um, so you'd mentioned EVP, so that employer value proposition, mm -hmm. but also leveraging the digital channels, et cetera, on how you're gonna acquire that talent coming to you, internal talent coming to you. Um, let me think what else. I mean, I came from a big, big company. So yeah, we actually worked across a lot of departments. Give me one second. I worked with legal. I worked with technology. Um, certainly comms, when there was a new program being rolled out, we actually did a Salesforce rollout while I was there. Um, so the comms on that, and as you can imagine, the teams involved with the global Salesforce rollout were extensive. Yeah. Um, marketing absolutely got involved in that discussion. Um, naturally part of GDPR discussions, marketing's part in the room for that mm -hmm. as well. It, it actually can be quite endless at the yeah, end of the can, day. Yeah, it can, And so if we take a step back, the marketing process, so actually putting a strategy in place to help market an agency, what's what's your experience been as to when you, you, you go into a company, where do you identify, how do you go about identifying where things could be improved and then how to be improved. Mm -hmm. So I know we've got we've covered a lot of great ground there, but if we take a step back, you, you go in to see a company, what are you looking out for, for where where things could be improved? Absolutely. So when we, when we start working with a company, we do a whole discovery process. And that discovery is looking at um, the business objectives. So looking at 
actually like what were your placements last year? What are your goals for this year? How many um, placements does that equal in, in real terms? How many candidates do you need to achieve those placement needs? So, so finding out where are the business goals and what uplift, you know, if you have a 20%, if your goal is a 20% uplift in revenue, what, how many more job orders do you need? How many more candidates do you need to, in a ratio terms, to, to hit that? Um, it also goes through, like I said before, what's the need for the business? Is it candidate generation? Is it client generation? Working through that. Um, it looks at what is our baseline today? So let's look at all of the different, you know, marketing reporting tools. Number one is Google Data Studio, or um, Google Analytics, mm -hmm. and looking at, you know, what traffic is coming to our website? Where is it coming from? How is it getting there? Is it converting? I ho certainly hope so. Um, converting meaning, do they apply for a job? Do, or do they submit a vacancy or some, you know, a client of some sort showing some, some interest for you to, to engage with them? Um, what are the channels that are yielding that conversion as well? So, so you need to be looking at all these different pieces and putting it together. I think there's a little bit of marketing experience that comes into play. You know, as an example, right now, I mean, I you heard me say already, I wholeheartedly believe in database marketing. It is the cheapest, most efficient lead you are ever going to get for your business. Um, in this market, however, you know, there's some things that are the longer burn, and there's some things that are more quick wins. I would probably say you need those quick wins while you're working on the longer burn. So it is a knowledge of the business objectives, it's a knowledge of where you're at as your baseline, it's a knowledge of the channels that can get you there, and of course there is that whole brand side of it and, and what are you actually saying across all these channels as well. Okay, so the business objectives, the needs, you mentioned Google Analytics, are any of those priorities if somebody was looking internally themselves as to what they should be, or does it, does it depend so, on the state that they're in? I respect that when you're internal, you get pulled in a lot of directions. So I'm not saying this is you know, super easy, and especially if your marketer's never done it before, I'm not suggesting you just turn around and, and get them to do this and it's gonna happen overnight. Um, we can do these audits in two days, though. Two days of work and we can get a pretty good baseline okay. for it. Um, and we have tools on our website that can explain how to do it for those who are looking to do it themselves and, and we're happy to also talk through it with people. But I think the biggest thing is so many marketers don't have a plan. And it's often not their fault. You know, oftentimes it's the recruitment leader who plans are changing. And, you know, you, recruitment, part of the, I mean, I've been in it for 20 years. Part of the beauty is the pace and the, that, that drive and, you know, the changing priorities. You know, they, it can be a bit of an addiction at times. Um, but at the same time, you, that marketer still needs a plan because if you're always going to be pulled in a million directions, you're never going to have that baseline. You're ne never going to have that constant um, drumbeat of activity interlaced with campaigns in order to, to see those numbers improve. And, and if you put some concerted effort to it, you absolutely can see that marketing mm. drives candidates, drives clients and, and consultants mm. as well. Mm. And, and do you find that a lot of marketing is when you say people don't have the plan, is that when they tend to be more reactive than proactive? So we've heard some examples that during lockdown, there was you know a number of agencies who had a handful of clients who were you know paying pay, essentially paying the bills for the business, mm -hmm. but during lockdown those clients perhaps fell by the wayside, they went out of business, and they then had to these agencies had to go and interrogate their database mm. for new customers mm. and you know regenerate the database again yeah. whereas if they'd been like you're saying had that process in place had those regular touch points throughout you would like to think that they would have had more than just a handful of key clients yeah i i think what you've hit on there is i think that the latter part of the teen years it was such a candidate short market that most a lot businesses pushed all of their resource, and whether it was marketing, maybe it was resourcing, whatever you want to call it, but they were, you know, candidate was king in that period. COVID hit, and as your example, job orders dried up. Yeah. I think the ones that were able to pivot pretty quickly, yeah. we actually worked with a business at that time who doubled their marketing spend with us. They furloughed staff and doubled their spend. Did they? And we were able to um, 
react very quickly. We'd only been working, well, we'd been working with them for about a year at that point. So we already had some client campaigns going. We still reacted fast though. Um, we put the client campaigns in. It was only the managing director who was fueling the jobs and he started bringing people back in beginning of June. Now, if you think back to COVID year, most weren't bringing them back till September. He kept having to bring more and more people back because they had so many jobs that were coming on because everybody else was furloughed. Um, sorry, the competing agencies weren't doing anything. They were not, they, your, to your example, they had let those relationships lapse. So they just picked up all the job orders. And how did you, how did they go about with obviously It was this. email marketing. So it was. It looked like the doors were open. You know, it, we were open for business with that business. We were doing database marketing. We, I mean, you couldn't ignore it was COVID. Obviously you need to be sensitive to, to the, the timings, but, um, they absolutely flourished coming off of that much, much more quickly than a lot of the, their competitors. It's mainly through email marketing. Mainly email marketing. It's, it's about that ability to, to pivot. You know, going back to what I was saying about the, you know, that, that focus you're putting on one audience versus another when you're doing your attraction, it's the ability that if, if it, the market does suddenly change, you can be responsive to it very, very quickly and pivot. Mm. Um, so use that same example. Maybe right now we're doing more client mm. um, facing. Mm. Mm. I never said do 100 and do no, zero. No, no. You're doing 80 and 20. As It's going to be different for everybody. 80 and 20. Maybe in a couple months, let's hope, it's going to shift to 60, 40. And maybe it's going to, a sure. few months from that, it might switch from there. But it's being able to have the processes and plans set up. The other beauty, and I use, I mentioned before, newsletters. Newsletters, by its very nature, makes you feel that there's a finite timing that it has to go out. Think instead of your communications as evergreen. You know that they really can be repurposed and reused. You you have a kind of a vault almost of of content and, and of programs that you can go back in and dip mm. into them and repurpose Just them. Because you use the content doesn't mean you can't use it again. People have short memories. You absolutely yeah, can true. use it again. Well, it might not be relevant then, but it might be <laughs> yeah. relevant to them now. Yeah. yeah. I mean, you've actually just hit on something. A great example is blog content. So often people will post a blog and that first month they get maybe 25 views because they've shared it on, on LinkedIn. And that blog dies a long death. It's never to be looked at ever again. If you're reusing it in your email campaigns, if you're putting some SEO strategy for how people can find it on Google into it, the actual goal of a blog is that it, it starts small and it keeps growing and building equity for your website over time yeah. because you've put a little bit of thought into it and you're reusing it, et cetera. So mm. I'd, I'd actually say that to businesses. You know, don't, instead of being so quick to always create new, go back and look at what you have already and see how you can enhance it. And the, that, the marketing strategy, who... So it's led, obviously led by market and led by the sponsors, but how it's actually put into place, who's leading that? Is that the, the customer's needs is leading it or is it the business objectives which is pushing it? That's a good question. They probably should be hand in hand, you would shouldn't think. they? Yeah, they should be hand in hand. But but I think some I think somebody having an awareness, of course, of the customer need and it should be congruent to yeah, the, business you know, the, the business objectives. Yeah. Okay. And that is the strategic. You know, I, I'd like to think that marketing can play a role in that, in mm -hmm. helping to identify that target candidate, help it, or sorry, target um, audience candidate or client, but also identifying their persona and, and where they're hanging out for, you know, when you're looking at how are you going to engage them, what are you going to engage them with, what's their pain points, et cetera. But there is a there is a bigger piece at play here. You know, this is now where there is business strategy that needs yeah. to come into it, and and how is that business leader being the steward of their ship, and then bringing bringing the marketer along for the voyage. So we we looked at the example of of COVID, how before that candidate was king, but then mm. the, the, there was needed to be more of a, a onus and attention spent with with the client. Mm -hmm. With that. As and when things move, like you were saying, not saying one hundred percent and zero percent. So when you do need to, when you do need to adapt, what 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 does a business need to have in place to adapt? I'm thinking from what we've discussed, mm. content. They need to have the right software in place. They need to have the right uh, leadership and buy-in from the business. Mm -hmm. What other things do they need to be doing so that they can pivot yeah. pivot quickly? Well, I mean, I think what you've just described there is a healthy business 
in any economy, they should be doing those things. When things are good, they should be doing those things. And when things are a bit more challenging, they should be doing those things. Um, I would like to think if they have those pieces in place, they actually can pivot pretty quickly. Right. It, it, it is, um, like I say, it's either about revisiting what you've done before, but also if you have, if you're in the mindset of knowing that you need to be responsive to the market and not, you know, marketing for a purpose versus just fluffy marketing, then I think that whether it's the marketer or the business leader should have that um, enough of a wherewithal to be able to say, actually, yeah, now we turn it to this and, yeah. and we need to be focusing on that piece. So you mentioned that about the content. How, how in, the, in the differentiator, which we discussed at the beginning, how different or attention grabbing should the content be it, like it, it should it be that or should it just be consistent hmm. um now attention grabbing i think you you fall into the risk of it being kind of clickbaity and and gimmicky etc and and i don't i think that's when you're going to get that you know you can't continue of... continually be pushing out different types yeah. of well the, the attention grabbing so is it is it more of a case of being just consistent like you see people on linkedin they're mm-hmm. posting stuff two or three times a week you get some people who post stuff and it's kind of just a bit dull others do it regularly but mm. it's got a bit of it's got a bit of them about it which stands out um i get the same you know from different um companies who market to me comes through to my inbox i tend to regularly mm-hmm. read it because it's mm-hmm. it's grabbed my attention mm-hmm. so is it, is it about consistency now, you mentioned LinkedIn there. LinkedIn is largely also about consistency because you are right. also playing to the algorithms who likes consistency. Um, but that's one channel of many channels. Mm-hmm. I think for the, the first thing you need to think about is the purpose of your content. So dial back and what is the purpose of our content? And we need to think about what's content that we are happy that it's just something that they see on LinkedIn. We want to get a lot of engagement for it. Let's start with LinkedIn, actually. I want a lot of engagement. I'm going to be creating a post that creates a lot of engagement. But don't discount the stuff that is the testimonials and the the business promotion stuff, et cetera, that might sit on your company page. Mm -hmm. It might not get loads of likes and shares, but people treat the company page, largely like they treat somebody's website. They go in to go and validate. If they've been speaking to a consultant, they go in to validate to make sure what that consultant is saying is part of that bigger brand and part of the bigger business. So it's not all about engagement. And there that's is where the person, the corporate brand, has to come into play as well. 100%. Um, now, that's just one thing. That's LinkedIn. Now, let's think about... Um, a blog, for example, what is the purpose of the blog? Is it to get people to click on it from LinkedIn? Maybe. Is it to drive people from Google there? Maybe, for what people are searching for online. Is it to be um, an asset in an email campaign that's going to get people to click on it when they see it in email? Now, hopefully, it could do multiple of these things. It shouldn't just be one. But there needs to be one that's the driver. And what might work on one channel might not be the perfect piece of content that's going to work on another channel. Mm-hmm. Interesting. That's just trial and error, I'm assuming. Or I guess there's um, some best practice out there people can I think tap it's into. a best practice. I think it needs to be, I mean, if once you have a bit of experience, there's some trial and error know, in it yeah. too. Yeah. But there is um, there is some basic SEO knowledge. That, okay. Again, this is not, less the recruitment leader and more the marketer, but some basic SEO knowledge is, is definitely um, helpful. Mm-hmm. Um, and it goes back to having a plan, like you said before. You have a marketing plan when you're creating this content, and I, I actually don't believe in creating content for one purpose because everybody has finite amount of time and resource. So when you're creating something, think about it as how could I either um, promote it in different ways or how can I carve it up to, to have different purposes with it? So you're just stretching it. I use the rule of five. Any piece of content you're creating, it should have five different uses. In what way? A link, so maybe, so you have, maybe you do a blog. It should have, so the blog should be optimized for SEO mm-hmm. so people can find it on Google. You should, the the full blog should be promoted on LinkedIn. Mm-hmm. Maybe there's some interesting stats or figures in the blog. Maybe that's another post for LinkedIn um, saying 85% of so-and-so did it. So it's not necessarily promoting the blog. It's promoting some of the insights within it. Um, and then maybe a, an email campaign or a couple email campaigns, and maybe you put it at the bottom of a signature. Sure. Um, so you've just hit five okay. through one piece of content. Sure. And where does, where does, you said that you've got to think about your content and what you're trying to achieve. 
where does that play in with lead generation? We're actually getting business through the door. Absolutely. So there's a few different there's a few different definitions of what would constitute a lead. Of course, um, if you're putting together a salary guide or some kind of report that there's a download and they're putting their information in, that would be a lead. Another option is, and this is again going back to the marketing automation side of things, which is so powerful. And so when you stop thinking of it as singular emails back and forth and start thinking of it as part of the journey, you can use what's called lead scoring. So let's say they open an email. Maybe you give them one point. Maybe they click on an email. Maybe you give them two points. Maybe they click on a testimonial or a case study. For a client, that's a buying signal. You know, they're not looking at a case study just because it's fun. You know, that's a buying signal. Maybe you give them five points. The beauty here is you can be aggregating those points through these different touch points. And when they reach a magic score, that becomes the moment that the consultants are following up on that. Comes an action. Yeah. Becomes an action. So th- that takes you back to how do you use automation and technology to make your consultants more productive? Mm-hmm. You know, instead of you've spread the, the the net wide, targeted but wide, and you're pulling it through, and you're only surfacing the ones who are showing intent. Those are the ones for your consultants to be actively following up with and how much does patience come into the game so obviously they would talk about different touch points you've talked about doing a blog and pushing it out into five different ways and using the content from there these things take time to to develop to, to write to process and i know it all comes back down to the different type of recruitment that you would you would expect you know pushing out something out to um for, for perm hires is going to be different to temp if you've all got the roles open but where does patience come into it because hmm. some people just want they want results quick i'm Everybody sure and you, you think oh you need, to, you need <laughs> to slow down these things have a have a process and they will work yeah. but i think i think a savvy marketer and i'll put myself in in this category is i always use the expression you need to give them their amuse bushes while they're waiting for the Michelin star <laughs> meal. Right. If they're waiting for that Michelin star meal, you're going to have very cranky, hang- hangry people yeah. waiting for that Michelin star meal. You need to give them, find the low-hanging fruit, deliver that low-hanging fruit. Uh, and I'm speaking to the marketers right now. You know, Get that consultant on your side. Get that, that leader, your stakeholder, on your side. Often that is with social and stuff that people feel. It's social can be really, you know, tangible and tactile. Yeah. People can feel it. They can see it. Um, give them the stuff that they can see and feel while you're working on the long-term strategy. And when that comes along, one, you've already won them over. Two, you've brought some business in already, hopefully, through your activities. And three, you know, you've let some of these programs mature so you are driving those leads. Mm. Okay. And the channels you mentioned before, there's, again, it'll vary on the business mm. and the type of recruitment that they run, but what, what channels jumped out? We always, we've mentioned LinkedIn, we've mentioned email marketing, what are the things we should Yeah, I mean, there, there's loads. Um, LinkedIn, but also obviously other social channels, yeah. depending on the audience and, sure. and where they're hanging out. Um, email marketing, um, search marketing, search engine marketing. So that could be the SEO and and optimizing your site. Obviously that is a long-term goal because that it's like, it's built equity in your site that people can find you. It's not free because you've been working on it, but eventually it's, it's organic traffic, which kind of means free. Um, there's pay-per-click. So if you are not quite, if you want to um, access that search traffic, but you're not ready to put in the effort and wait six months. Obviously, you could be paying for for Google Ads. Um, on the candidate recruitment side, you have to you know look at what your cost per acquisition is. So, I'm going to say job boards are obviously one acquisition channel for candidates. Work out what job boards is are yielding you the best candidates at the best price. So work it out to not only cost per candidate or cost per CV that you're getting, but if you can pull it through to cost per placement, what job board is yielding you the best placement? Now you can take that figure and you can apply it to how much is pay-per-click advertising for me? Is it is it a more efficient cost than that CV or that job board cost? Um, same thing with LinkedIn advertising versus organic. Same thing with um, Google advertising. I mean, there's a plethora of different um, channels down to bus advertising yeah, and sure. tube advertising. I'm not suggesting that to go do tube advertising, but it's understanding your niche. It's understanding your end audience. It's understanding your budget because <laughs> a lot of these are going to be you know, very, very different in, in what is feasible 
And actually, I think a big one, and I think this is when we do see the, the rise of TikTok and, oh, everybody's on TikTok. I got to get on TikTok. Well, at the end of the day, most companies will have a finite budget and a finite marketing team. So you need to work out where they're spending their time and what is yielding you the best return. And it may or may not be on TikTok. Just because somebody's hanging out there doesn't mean that it's going to be you're going to be leveraging it as the right channel for your business. Mm-hmm. Now, some businesses it is. I, I'm not saying it isn't. I'm just saying keep an open mind. This, you need your KPIs, you need your ROI metrics, so you can pull it back and say, okay, what are we getting by channel? And the holy grail is what is the cost per placement per channel? Mm-hmm. Cost of client or, jo- or job order app, um, acquisition mm-hmm. by which channel? Cost per CV and ultimately placement per channel? Once you start seeing that, you start putting your budget into those channels that are yielding the best results for you, mm-hmm. you're going to grow your business. And that goes back to one of your original points of marketing, working with sales. If you don't, if they're not working hand in glove, you just would not have those metrics to hand. It's such a great point because oftentimes um, it can be very difficult to see all of the touch points that marketing, I mean, we've come a long way with technology to see the touch points through to placement. But we're not Amazon at the end of the day. We're not putting some, you know, we're not putting a candidate in the basket and pressing purchase. Mm-hmm. Um, there is a human element that comes into that into play. So absolutely, you could get so far, but yes, understanding um, from your consultants where the best candidates are coming from or, or clients, et cetera, best mm-hmm. customers are coming from um, and making sure marketing is not only responsive to them, but, but obviously is working towards um, what is yielding results. Mm-hmm. And being able to dial up a dial down when relevant. Precisely. Yeah. Was it easier 20 years ago? No, because you didn't know. So I know, that makes me sound so old. Um, <laughs> in many ways, I guess it was. I, it, many days, you know, it was the Mad Men. It wasn't the Mad Men era, because I think that was the 1960s. But it was, you know, my, beginning of my career, I was doing, you know, print ads in magazines. I was doing classified ads in the FT. Um, so in that regard, yes. I mean, that was easy. It was more less options. brand. Yeah. It was brand right. marketing, you know, a big more piece to that. I think there needs to be an absolute respect for marketers. And of course, I'm going to say this, but there needs to be a respect that it is pretty technical these days. Yeah. And um, there is a lot of value in leveraging specialists in different areas. Okay. You know, somebody who's, you know, I'll just, you know, rattle off a couple of them. You know, I mentioned already SEO. You could marketers in general, especially content marketers, need to have a basic understanding of SEO. SEO, good SEO people are, it's very, very technical. Mm. And if you want to be the ones, you know, if you want to be ranking top of Google, there is some absolute technical knowledge you need to be bringing to that. Mm. Um, Same thing with PPC, same thing with email marketing, Mm. etc. There is still a great place for brand, however, though, so so don't discount that. it's just hard to find that unicorn marketer. Mm-hmm. You generally are not going to find that person who has the, the end-to-end, um, somebody who's great at brand and content, who's also a digital genius. They're pretty few and far between. And was there a point where the individual started to take on more of that marketing responsibility, not away from marketing, but they had an expectation to be to be marketing themselves? Or was that always there from you know, 15, 20 years ago? Marketing themselves. Marketing themselves out to candidates and to clients. I don't think they had the platform before, the same platforms. I think, I mean, LinkedIn is not is far from young. I mean, yeah, I yeah, think it's just yeah. had its, it's 20 years old or something yeah. as well. Um, but if you have to, th- if you think pre-LinkedIn, nobody was putting out their own, you know, content yeah. that, that they didn't need to, as a recruiter, that is, you know, they didn't need to be doing any of that. So yeah, the, the job has absolutely changed. Um, I've never been a recruiter personally. Yeah. I've worked literally shoulder to shoulder to, with a lot in my career. Um, I think probably the the root of the recruiter and what makes a good recruiter probably is still very much the same. Some of them just happen to be leveraging social channels better than others. True. So, so we've covered a lot of lot of really good con- uh, content there. Um, how do how do people wrap that all up to? make sure it's all possible. Yeah. I think this is where, you know, that that marketing planning really comes 
comes to the fore and why it is so important. You know, it isn't something, I, I mean, I, I do marketing planning every single year. Um, hopefully you, you finish it and hopefully you'll keep referring back to it. Hopefully it doesn't sit in a, in a metaphorical drawer once you've done it. Yeah. Um, but look at those pieces. Think about your marketing program holistically. Think about all those different channels we've talked about. And, and maybe you don't utilize all of them, but think about the combination of them and, and how each of them contribute mm. towards your overall goals. Okay. Yeah. I mean, we, we see a lot of businesses who are working with us and looking to review and replace their existing tech where they they don't just look at the immediate CRM. They talk about automation. They talk about portals. They talk about email marketing, about analysis. So it's and how... I think, a lot of businesses have matured into that way of thinking. They don't just want to have a good database. They want everything to be I to agree. be integrated. Yeah. Um, so I guess for uh, what one takeaway if, for people who are listening, what do you think's going to be? What do you think's going to make somebody successful going forward in the, the short and longer term? Yeah. What I love about what you just said there was this almost like a testing mentality, a, a curiosity, mm. a an appetite for innovation and a testing mentality. And and that's something that, that I've always employed. And, and it, a good rule of thumb is an 80-20 rule. Mm. So spend 80% of your time doing the things you know are going to work, that have been tried and true, that you know are driving. And again, this has to be data-led and ROI-led, but that's driving return. Spend 20% of your, your time, your resource, your budget, trying new things, yeah. experimenting, see what's working. And then you can't keep going to 120, 140, 105,000%. <laughs> you need to then replace the eight, in that 80% if you're going to constantly innovate. What is no longer working for you? Move that aside, move something in, and then rinse and repeat. Go looking for, for something new all the time. And I agree with you. I think um, businesses have an appetite, mm -hmm. and we're seeing some really great things in the industry. Great. I love that approach. Very straightforward. Well, I think that's it. That's a good place to wrap up. Thank you very much for uh, for being with us today. I'm sure there's a whole load of takeaways there for people who really have been listening, so. and uh, look forward to having you on again. Thank you so much. It was a great Thank pleasure. You. Appreciate it.